On this week in sales, we're looking at a study that shows that buyers might actually prefer that salespeople are selling remotely. We're going to take a look at well whether Salesforce has wiped out a whole bunch of sales tech startups with their new series of products. We're going to take a look at whether virtual selling is better, more flexible for employees or not. And this is one that you've thrown in here, Victor. Should salespeople get hazard pay? We'll touch on that in a second. But before we get into the topics, Victor, how's it going, mate? How's your week been? What's changed since last time we spoke this time last week? So, oh, since last time we, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in this in the industry of selling, and it's always interesting to see the different perspectives. So I, one of the reasons I love this show that we're doing is that we get to try to tiptoe through the tulips of all these different perspectives in the market. So I think it's been very fascinating. It's been very fascinating. But other than that, it's been a casual week. Uh, nothing interesting to really report. Well, just looking forward to seeing your beautiful face again. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know about your, I don't know about calling your face beautiful, uh, Victor, but I'm looking forward to having a chat with you today, mate. And yeah, for me, same thing, just head down. You say that it's been a chilled week, but you push out so much content day after day on, on YouTube and your, your kind of uh, podcast um, channels and all that. So I think our definitions of casual might be slightly different. Could be, could be. We, You know, when you're enjoying what you're doing, it doesn't seem like work. I hate to be so cliche about there, but there it is. There it is. Good. Well, talking about work, uh, article here from McKinsey saying that, well, buyers might prefer remote selling. Our buyers, the people that we're selling to, might prefer to see less of us salespeople. So, Victor, what does this mean about the past 100 years of selling? Have we been doing it all wrong? And what does this mean for salespeople moving forward? Oh, man, I think this is really the transformation. By the way, for those of you listening to this, you need to go or watching us on YouTube. You need to actually click on this link. This is a great article you found, by the way. I started clicking through the, uh, what is it, 23 slides they mm -hmm. had. By the way, if you dump, if you love data, this is your link. <laughs> but the one thing I found interesting, because I, you know, we weren't doing it wrong in the past. I like to remind people that phone is virtual. The telephone is virtual. Mm -hmm. And so, but moving forward, what I found interesting in this study, the one thing that popped at me was slide number 15 that said live chat is now seen as the most beneficial channel for researching suppliers. Social media, text, and mobile apps are also gaining. That kind of like that, that was a head exploder for me. That people want to chat with you. They don't want to see you, they want to chat with you. And so I think this is fascinating what's going on. And so it's interesting. Let me ask you this, Victor, because uh, clearly we're from different generations here, right? And when I speak to uh, you know my mates who are from your generation, and when I speak to my friends from uh, the millennials like myself, there's I can see this gap between the two um, groups, right? So. Do you, if you were going to, if you needed to speak to customer support, if or a salesperson, whatever it was, would you rather, on the first instance, pick up the phone and speak with them, or would you rather just jump on a quick chat where you're not obligated, you're not going to get pestered, you're in control, and you can leave? Which one would you most likely choose? You know what I love about the question is how you disguise calling me old <laughs> in that question. Do you know what? That's exactly what you did. Victor, right, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put the cards on the table here, mate. I, I, I tried to, I, what I was, what my brain wanted to say was my dad would rather be on the phone. <laughs> and I was like, how, how, can I, how can I rephrase this and be more polite about it? <laughs> so as a baby boomer, I will speak for the baby boomer generation. I would actually rather talk to somebody. Sure. I would rather pick up the phone. Uh, and so I know that millennials are probably going, oh, heck no, I don't want to do that. But I would rather pick up the phone. Because I'm, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. If, for example, when I deal with Amazon, if I've got a return or whatever it is, I will always just go to the live chat rather than pick up the phone. Uh, there's probably, you know, if you have to wait two minutes on a live chat, you probably have to wait two minutes on a phone to, phone to get connected. It's probably easier and quicker to solve a problem over the phone because it's direct, right? And I'm sure the people that I'm speaking to on live chat have 50 boxes and they talk to 27 different people in different countries with different, even companies, because I know a lot of the live chat stuff is outsourced. But I would still rather be doing my emails or do something else and multitask and uh, and get on that live chat. So, that I, I, you know, I would agree with you. Will. I mean, if we're calling Amazon, definitely I want to do a chat because okay. I, I think it's going to be more than two minutes. But let's say I'm calling my health insurance company and I have a question. I for some reason I just want to hear that tone, you know, that 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 soothing tone. It'll be okay, Victor. It'll be okay to make the change. I want to hear that. 
<laughs> I want to hear that. It's a fair point because you don't get, from the sales perspective, right, if the industry massively shifts towards mm. at least the first point of contact being a live chat. Um, you know, I'm working with Drift at the moment on, on a project, so they're like hot on this, uh, what do they call it, conversational marketing and conversational intelligence. Mm. It's, it's, it's putting you at a disadvantage as a salesperson, right? If you want to build rapport, if you want to give insights, if you want to solve a problem being on a live chat versus a phone call. is there, There's no other redeeming features really, is there? I don't think so. I mean, again, it depends who you get on there. The I've used several. I found myself talking to a chat bot, like a virtual chat bot. And after a while, I ask it certain questions just to see if it would repeat the same thing. And I go, okay, you're a virtual chat bot. When you do get somebody on there that can actually, they know what they're talking about. And by the way, isn't that interesting that that may be a new skill, Will? Your ability to transmit that you know what you're talking about through yeah. text and then keeping your text short. Wow, what a hat trick that is, right? And I think there are some people who can do that. I've, had, I've been on several chats, not to bore you, but I bought a drone, right? Just to take a video. And I remember getting on the chat and I can tell it was a bot, right? So I decided not to buy that one. I went to another website, looked at buying that drone and I got somebody and the questions they asked me were very to the point and I knew I was talking to a real person. And guess what? That's where I bought and was it the same drone on two different websites? And so the decision-making was the, the experience? That's correct. One was a reseller of the drone, and the other one was the actual manufacturer. Yeah. Well, there you go. That, that just shows the effectiveness of it, right? That's correct. Mavic Pro. Go ahead. So let me ask you this, then, Victor, and we'll move on to the next topic. Who gets to choose how we communicate as salespeople to our marketplace? Is it us, which I don't think that's the correct answer. Is it our you know, management and leadership and the company and the, how they want to enter the marketplace? Or is the end decision maker on how we communicate the buyer? You know, obviously it's the buyer should have, <laughs> you know, the that first choice. a leading question there, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. But wouldn't it be interesting? I don't know how you could do this, but I'm just talking out loud here. But wouldn't it be interesting if that you could go to the website and you had multiple button choices, mm -hmm. text, email, you know what I mean? And just have them all there in a very simple dashboard and then boom. But I think that when video becomes more prevalent than it is now, by yeah. prevalent, I mean, it's the bandwidth is there, the ease of use is there, click go. Can you imagine, instead of doing a chat, I would just hit the video, say, let me just talk to somebody face-to-face -face via video. I think that'd be the ideal thing. Yeah. And I guess the big hold up on that is that you, well, if you're on your phone, every phone has a camera, right? But if you're at a desktop mm -hmm. computer, not everyone has a webcam set up. Maybe people do now that they're working from home. Maybe it is more commonplace. I know all the webcams seemingly on the planet sold out at the beginning of, mm -hmm. of COVID, right? So maybe maybe that is an option. I think so. I think it's an option. I think what's also interesting is that I noticed, have you noticed that, that a lot of people don't want to turn on their cameras when they talk to you? Have you noticed that or is it just me being paranoid or maybe people <laughs> don't like might, me? It might just be you, Victor. Um, no, it depends <laughs> on the context, right? If I So I found the the exact opposite. So I've done a bunch of, uh, I mentioned Drift, working on them in a project. So we've been having a bunch of meetings and there's, there's a bunch of other companies that I'm in the mix with different things for 2021. And it's usually me who's the last person to turn on the camera. And I do, mm. and this is the irony, I do all of my calls from this desk just because uh, I do all my calls. Uh, see, most of the time I'm calling people in the US, right? And so I'm using Skype rather than a, a landline or a mobile. I just find that internet-based connection to the US from the UK is a is a better quality phone call, sounding quality uh, phone call than if I do it via my mobile. Whatever reason. I'm sure there's some logic behind that. So I'm, I'm usually jumping on what I think is a phone call and then I jump in and everyone else is on the webcam and then I'm turning mine on and then I look like a weirdo doing it from a studio when everyone else is just at home doing things. And it looks like I'm trying to be, uh, trying to show off or be a tryhard and, and, and kind of outdo everyone I've else. Everyone thing. else is in the kitchen. Um, I've had the same thing. But, but honestly, had... the point of that tale, it, it, my experience is that people are turning on the cameras in just general business calls. And maybe, maybe that's a new thing with everything that's going on, right? I think it's going to become, a, again, something that's happened after a while. I think we've shifted so hard. I think people are used to cameras now. So, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Right, what's the next? So next up, a I put this one in the dock, and this is a sales technology update. And so I love Salesforce. Salesforce built for and paid for this studio. So they've always got a place in my heart. And <laughs> they've, they've come along great. And they've got Salesforce meetings, which I've not managed to dive into yet. Um, physically, I can't get access to it. Whether it's in the UK, whether it's because I'm in the UK or what, I don't know. 
what seemingly is their equivalent to Zoom, but set up for the sales enterprise space. They've got um, a new meeting management system that will give sales teams data during video chat. So I assume this is them taking on the likes of Gong and um, uh, Chorus.ai and the people who are pulling in data from phone calls, analyzing it and, and trying to train and coach reps or give sales managers the data to train reps, right? So and there's a bunch of other things here and we'll link this in the doc. But Victor, if Salesforce comes in and starts implementing some of these tools that are usually built on top of Salesforce, are they just going to wipe out most of the, the sales tech economy that's been built over the past decade? I say yes. <laughs> I just had this. I just, no, no. I, I, I just had this. Uh, I did this. Uh, you know, I do the Sales After Dark live stream. And my last one was the death of the CRM. Mm-hmm. Question mark. How dramatic is that, right? And what I think is happening is that CRM, as we know it, us older people will know it, <laughs> uh, is pretty much gone because it was a system of records. Yep. But now what's happening is they're bolting all these different apps slash intelligence into these systems that anybody who has pieces of what we need, and let's let's go to Gong, let's go to Chorus. And by the way, both companies I love. Great technology, great company, great studies, actually. And but it, you know, the, the the IP is going to be their algorithm. Yep. And if Salesforce can duplicate that algorithm, those IPs, then these companies are gonna have some trouble in the future. Because unless, unless I can see this happening, Gong merging with, I'm making stuff up now, with pipe drive. Sure. In order to compete against Salesforce. Because what's gonna happen is I think the CRM is gonna sit in the middle, the traditional CRM, and around it. Well, it's like a giant ERP system. We're going to bolt in all the applications and all the intelligence. And that is where I think the market is going. And the answer is yes. A lot of people are going to get wiped out in the meantime. And tell me, because I think you've got a better finger on the pulse of, of AI and AI technologies, right? You, you've literally written the book on it. So mm-hmm. as far as I can, and I've talked about it a few times on the podcast with different guests, but as far as I can make out and, and what I'm aware, there's only a handful of companies doing true AI and companies that say they have AI in their product are leveraging the you know AWS or they're leveraging Einstein, which is Salesforce's AI. Is that is that factually correct before I jump in? No. I, okay. There's a lot of companies actually doing, they're hiring their own data scientists to actually, and then the AWS, which is their 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 cloud service and app, you know, you know, toolbox. There's a lot of companies who have their own quants, you know, these people who, these scientists that sit in the corner and just bubbling code, right? Sure. So I think that's happening. That's where the big investment's going on. And so I don't know where the question was going, but what we're seeing is a lot of companies have, that's their IP. That's what people are investing in. They're not investing in the company. It's that AI algorithm that you have. And what's interesting, Will, if I may point this out, I talked about this as a prediction in my book. And that is, I, I studied a company called Effectiva. And Effectiva puts these cameras in your car where they can actually look at your, you know, your facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And if they can tell you can, you're falling asleep, it'll rattle the wheel for you or turn on a rock station, a little Metallica for you, right? And I always thought, wouldn't it be cool, the next level, this is going back to Salesforce meeting, wouldn't it be interesting that as I'm talking to you, Will, for example, right next to your head, it was a facial recognition system that would say, oh, he liked that. Oh, he didn't like what I said. Oh, he didn't think that was funny. You know what I mean? Something that would give me kind of a guidance. I think that's the future of what they're going for. And I'll just finish off that first question. The reason I asked it was, obviously, this is all intertwined with Salesforce's Einstein AI, which you know, I, I, it was, I was comparing HubSpot's revenue with Salesforce's revenue in this documentation I was doing earlier today. HubSpot's mm-hmm. was, I'm going to butcher these numbers, but you'll get the uh, the audience will get the gist of it. HubSpot's numbers was in, say, like 400 million or whatever. Well, Salesforce's numbers was like 80 billion. So it's, you know, multiple levels of revenue above it. And so who can compete with that? There's not many com- companies that can compete with that amount of revenue if they wanted to throw it at AI and Einstein. So that's where I was going with it in that right. I was going to ask, do Salesforce just have an inherent advantage with all of this when you're competing against a startup because just how well-funded they are? I think so. You know, first in the market to come up with a soft, you know, a software-less, CD-less software, right? So they're first in the market. Then they moved into the AI space, and what's 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 happening now? Anybody's they're they're like becoming like a, almost like a like a Facebook to me, yeah. In the sense that so many companies have dumped their data into that that to make the switch over to a new one is that much harder. 
So sunk cost is one of the reasons they maintain the advantage. What has to happen for Salesforce to lose its advantage is to stop developing, you know, but again, I just, I looked at their stock this morning. I think it was up another eight points. So they're just growing. Mm -hmm. It's probably on the back of some of these announcements. I know there's another one coming up in a second. And a final mm -hmm. thing, you mentioned something I thought it was actually hilarious. We could potentially be in a situation where if people wanted to be on the phone, but you as a salesperson wanted to read them better, you could easily use AI to create an avatar that you're speaking to as a salesperson who gives you the facial expressions that they <laughs> think are being given on the phone so that you can have, even if it's just one way, a more human connection with them. That would be something oh, that would be, be interesting. I, I, yeah. I it's interesting. I've never thought about that. that that's, that's, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Did you come up with that? Did you like pop that out of your head? Just pop that out of my head and I'm going to run off to try and find some way of painting <laughs> it after this episode. I don't know what I'd call it. What would I call it? Salesface.com or something. Sales like <laughs> I mean, think about it. That would be an advantage, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, that, the avatar, if the person, especially, I'm using it for video. If the person doesn't turn on their camera, yep the avatar would still demonstrate the sentiment. Yeah. Ah, that's really brilliant. Because I, th I think that's so really much brilliant. of communication, right, and there's all kind of cliched <laughs> numbers on this, but so much of it is subconscious and people who are great at selling often don't know what they're doing, right? But if you can right. just put them in the right place or the right room, and we're going to get onto VR and training later mm -hmm. on in the in the, in the the chat, right. but yeah, I feel like that could be, even if it's just a slight advantage, could be something, or it could, it could make your job more enjoyable rather than just being on the phone and monotonous and staring at a screen, especially in like a call center or something. If you're not necessarily sales, but telemarketing, if you can speak to a, a virtual person, that's got to be more interesting and, and keep you engaged. I think so. I think, I think it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> Dear Salesforce, I represent Will Barron. Will Barron has a great idea we want to integrate because even on a Zoom call, when they don't have, again, their camera on, I would like to see an avatar. It would give me something to look at yep. besides the person's name. Yep. I love that idea. Good. Well, well, this week in sales, we'll be doing apps at some point in the future. So with that, Victor, we've got more Salesforce news. Do you want to share this one with us? Let me see. I, one of the things I know they're doing is they introduced something called 360, Digital 360, which really ties into what we're talking about. And I think we kind of hit the high points already. And that is that they're Again, what Salesforce is doing right is that they're bringing in all these technologies and in their wake of doing this, they're going to leave a lot of dead you know, technology companies because you're absolutely right. Uh, I forgot the data and I'm going to butcher these numbers, but I think five years ago, they were like, when you look at like, like conversational IP bots, stuff like that, you know, new technologies, marketing automation, they're like five, 700 companies. Uh, the last study I saw, there were 7,000 plus companies. And so all these companies are only offering pieces of the solution. And Salesforce, the behemoth, you know what I mean, is coming in and saying, I got it all, one-stop shopping right here. Mm -hmm. And you know what Salesforce is going to do. They're going to keep buying companies. If they like their IP, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. So uh, Salesforce right now in the lead. But go HubSpot. <laughs> Go sales loft. Mm -hmm. Go pipe drive. Let's go. For sure. For sure. And I've just had a realization, Victor. This is actually like just ridiculous. I've sat here with a laptop in front of me, so we don't need to put your numbers anymore. I can just Google <laughs> them. So HubSpot's revenue from before, just to clarify, was $674 million a year, and Salesforce's was $17 billion. Yeah, I don't usually yeah. do these kind of conversations or podcasts with my laptop in front of me, so I feel, yeah. I feel liberated uh, into just go. not talking absolute nonsense and shit and being able to like actually qualify my <laughs> conversations and the, the facts right. and points I'm making. We need to set some standards here, Will. This week in sales, we have numbers, okay? <laughs> yes. That's the whole point of the show, to deliver the news. Otherwise, we, we just become another news station talking nonsense. And uh, eventually politics will, will jump in here, Victor, and we'll both have different hats on. I, I don't know if you can even compare UK and, and US politics. We'll be arguing about politics and we'll be yeah. talking about totally different candidates and countries. And they'll tell us, they'll say, don't watch Bill and Victor. That's fake news. TWIS <laughs> is fake news. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next up, we've got a, uh, a sales training uh, point here. How to keep closing B2B deals during the pandemic. This is by Jeff Winters. It was over at hbr.org. Victor, take us through this because this is your your expertise in the yeah. training space. Well, you know, I, I came across this article and there's one thing I just wanted to point out, but I thought I'd highlight the three things they said uh we should do to keep closing B2B sales during the pandemic. Very dramatic title, How to Keep Closing B2B Deals During the Pandemic by Jeff Winters. He says, number one, ramp up your prospecting. And my initial thought was, duh. Yeah. 
Okay, that was like, yeah, okay, that's an obvious one. Uh, number two was, think about your prospect's customer. Now, this is interesting because I'm finding this to be very effective. Mm-hmm. I'm actually selling through a client to get to the end client. If I understand my client's client, I can sell to my client better. So I think that is a very interesting perspective. That was number two. But number three was what I really love. Pitch all deals like you're pitching to a CFO, a chief financial officer. Because right now, people are looking to justify the spend. And budgets are being reduced. So therefore, that's a good point. That maybe as you're doing your presentation, we should tie more of that into uh, return on investment, break-even points, long-term gains, so forth and so on. So three things to do. Ramp up your prospecting. Think about your prospects' customers. Hmm, love that one. And pitch deals like you're pitching to a CFO. What say you will on that one? I say <clears throat> that is common sense and good practice, but does that mm-hmm. not make sales, especially if we're just talking about the numbers, something that could be done with a, a PDF document? Do we not need to add an, another layer of almost like analysis, insight to speaking to a CFO? And I'm talking about my experience here selling, uh, this is something I can comment on, in selling to the NHS here in the UK, which is you know government rather than the B2B or B2C. But I had CFOs in the room with me all the time. And yes, they wanted to know about the numbers, but I feel like there are other things that they want to know about as well, such as you know risk management and, and things that trickle down perhaps from a CEO. Um, and perhaps the CFO is doing their due diligence before they go to the CEO and get things signed off. But is it as simple as just ROI? Can we get any deal done by just talking about ROI, Victor? No, 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 no. And, and you bring up a good point. Uh, so thank you for adding another layer of uh, complexity to this, because if, if it's just about an ROI calculator, then you're not going to really win the deal. That's not going to carry the day because that's already been around for quite a while. I think what companies are looking for, and you, you, you said it real quickly, that they're looking at risk. What's the downside? Mm-hmm. And in looking at risk, they're looking at several things. You know, uh, you know, how's this going to impact my operations, my delivery ties, my service, all this stuff, implementation, training, and that becomes a more comprehensive economic impact package that you present. Got it. As opposed to just an ROI and you know break-even point. Now you're talking about all the numbers, and because everybody in the company is evaluating how this is going to impact them. And those are the real questions you have to answer. Yep, you're going to see an impact hit for the first two weeks on your delivery, turnaround time, blah, blah, on your operations. And then walk them through how you're going to mitigate that. And in the long run, how they're going to get their money back. I think that's a full-blown conversation. So good point, Will. Yeah. And one of the things we used to do a lot was talk about a patient throughput within theaters. If you use our equipment with high-definition screens versus standard-definition screens, the patient's uh, patient safety, all that good stuff, CFO perhaps doesn't cares about that but isn't um they're not incentivized on patient safety but they do care about this patient throughput so i would almost like build um a pyramid or have a funnel that leads back to roi at the end of it of more patient throughput means uh, more bed space which means more funding from the nhs on uh, when you're essentially a proficient and good hospital you get more bonuses and grants and things like that which then leads to indirect roi of not just this is better for the patient but this is better for your career, Mr. CFO, as well, because it's going to help you kind of balance the books. So that's how I like to picture these conversations with CFOs. As I said, I, I don't have that much to say about um, this kind of thing, but that's something I did do and, and was relatively successful for, successful by. And it was that that funnel of this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. then you. And that's how I would rope in other people in the boardroom as well and, and get everyone on board, almost going around like this, 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 and the CFO would be sat in the center mm-hmm. wearing a, a far nicer suit than anyone else, and you get them nodding then. That's it. A little bit of, I always call it a little bit of mental candy for everybody, mm-hmm. right? Perfect. Get everybody to buy in. And I think that's a good way of looking at it. So I love that. Good. Okay, next one. <laughs> this, this, this started off as almost a bit of a... Uh, an off-topic but somewhat interesting um, conversation point I wanted to drive in here of can VR sales training disrupt the industry? But then as I look more and more into it and perhaps projecting 10, 20 years into the future, it seems really interesting. And this is another hbr.org, and I'm reading this from the URL now, a sponsored post. So maybe this is totally uh, biased and pushing towards this as as a potential future for sales training. But it's talking about organizations in retail, hospitality and sales training, and other sectors are increasingly finding that applying virtual reality tools in their training is helping employees strengthen what they're calling soft skills. And a lot of the 
tell me your thoughts on this, Victor, but a lot of the more difficult things to train in sales are the soft skills, aren't they? I think so. I think it, what, I, what I liked about this article, you know, it talked about, and I think I have the number here, there was a study within the article that talked about virtual training uh, increased confidence rates by 40%. And it almost gets back to what we know well about role-playing, right? Because that's kind of what this is, right? Just yep. give it a virtual reality twist. And I think the more you can do, I, I'm a, I'm a believer in role playing. And if I can use VR to do role playing, walk me through scenarios, walk me through conversation, objections, blocking them, overcoming them, I'm all for that. So, you know, on the soft skill sides, you know, I think you and I don't have a problem talking on the microphone, but it's, you know, I have to remind myself, and you probably have to do the same thing, that a lot of people are not comfortable talking on a microphone or having just general sales conversations or getting the conversation started. Mm -hmm. So those are the type of soft skills that I think would really help with VR to get that going. Yeah, I think there's two elements of this as well. There's VR, which, when I first read it, I was like, VR, oh, everyone puts on a headset. <clears throat> We're in a classroom environment. We can do cool audio video things rather than a lot of sales training companies that are still trying to hold on to in-person training because they can charge way more for it are trying to do in-person Zoom meetings and things like this rather than... I, I won't put words in your mouth. You can give us your thoughts, but my opinion, mm -hmm. a lot of sales training can be done by uh, interactive video content that is pre-recorded uh, with training after the fact, perhaps. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you that in a second. But a lot of these sales training companies are holding on to this. We could charge more if we if we get people in a room or if we drag people out of the, the selling environment. And um, <laughs> you're laughing, so I think we might be on the no, same. No, just, no, no, just your visuls, dragging yeah. them out of this. Well, just, that's what just... I felt like. Every time we had sales training, be literally dragged. I want to make calls. I want to. I want to speak to my customers. I'm dragged away, and it's inconvenient. Whatever. Hotel costs. All kinds of mm -hmm. uh, extra costs on top of hiring a sales trainer for that in-person thing. Correct. Fine. Correct. So my first thought with this VR training was, oh, I can be in my pajamas after I finish work, jump on a virtual call, and I'm in a virtual suit. Everyone else is in the virtual suits, even though whatever the, the heck they're doing. And you could do some really cool. Um, audiovisual things to make that learning experience, that teaching environment really strong. But then you kind of alluded to it here, the actual then process of, you could turn it into almost a computer game where you get points, you're competing with the other members of your team, you're negotiating against, against an AI in real time. Uh, there's all kinds of technology that Google are working on that would enable this to happen. That, um, that they're putting in their Pixel phones for making up uh, phone calls and booking meetings from, from their side of things. We can touch on that in a second, perhaps. But that's probably where the future of all this is, right? In, in 10, 20 years, training will be you're in your sales environment. You think you, it, it looks like you're in the office even, but you're not dealing with, you're not burning real customers over and over with uh, crappy sales skills. You're burning through AI and you're getting points and feedback on it. Is that, is that the future of huh. all of this? Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. As I, you know, two things crossed my mind when I saw this. When you posted this in our doc, and that is the first one. I thought about Tupac Shakur. That yep. was the first thing. By the way, it's just with Tupac when he did that hologram mm -hmm. with Snoop Dogg. Yep. Remember that? I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? That's like a hologram, right? You know. So if you could do a, if you could do a collaboration with the hologram, I think that's pretty cool. And and the second thought that hit me is how do you get the content in there? And in me, my brain shot to those green screen videos. You ever see those uh, behind the scenes where they're making a movie? They got the massive green screen, but then they got the person dressed up in green with a bunch of dots. Yeah. So then they can superimpose whatever character they want on them. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if you could get an expert salesperson, right, within the company to suit up with the green suit? That's funny already. The visual is funny. With the, with the white dots. And then, you know what I mean? Have the person actually do the dialogue and then find a way to move that into the actual system. Well, well, Victor, we don't even need to do that. We just need the person talking, and then it could be anyone doing their hand movements, and that's the beauty Correct. of it. And you know, if you look at, um, you know, you could have you could reanimate someone like Zig Ziglar, and there's so much audio content of him that you could re there's AI that will redo your voice and do text to voice mm -hmm. on someone else's um, content if there's enough of it. So you could do a series of sales training that's brand new and modern with a Zig Ziglar just using this kind of um, uh, motion capturing and green screen technology. Yeah, I love it. I lo yeah, you know, we're really going into the future now <laughs> because if, it, if the AI can pull all that content from a great presentation, we confirm that the deal was closed, right? And then the AI can see the, obviously hear the audio, the text, what was used, phraseology, body language. And again, back to cadence, that would be interesting if the AI could design then mm -hmm. the ideal 
I'll use your word, the avatar again, right? A full person avatar doing the actual pitch. It's all, it's how do you get the content in? That's been my biggest challenge with VR. How do you get the content in and make it meaningful to use like in a sales training scenario? Yeah, so so I, I, I don't think that's a big issue. I think the biggest issue is getting, um, so I'm just looking at this post now, how VR training can help turn employees into leaders. It's sponsored by Oculus, which is a, a Facebook company. But I think the, the Oculus uh, Riff, I think it's about a grand. So it's getting this technology into people's <laughs> hands. They've got to use it for four or five years playing games and, and other things. So it becomes uh, ubiquitous to them. Like like everyone has a smartphone, iPhone, Android phone. It needs to become, I think that's the biggest hurdle, getting the technology so embedded into people that they're happy to spend three hours doing a training seminar lesson training whatever it is with this on i think all the data is probably already out there do you not reckon Vic? do you not reckon oh. someone like salesforce has enough data to do this kind of thing maybe i, I i'm thinking about for example fortnite yep now, i don't know any, i don't know my, i watch my son play fortnite right and so a game like fortnite takes what or what is it red dead something red dead red or dead something other game. there you go red dead redemption uh, see, even as an old man, I, I got kind of hit <laughs> I to never what's called going you. on. I never called you an old man. Uh, I went yeah, out of my way to yeah, not yeah. call you an old man. <laughs> the, the implication was there. The inference was there. But anyway, the what's, what's, you, you look at those games, and you know how they take like maybe three years to develop? Yeah. Well, well let, because uh, let, me, got, let me give you context. That Red Dead Redemption hmm. took eight years to develop. Eight years to develop. Okay. Yeah. And so you got Fortnite. I don't know how long it took. But let's say five years is the average. Sure. By that time, the sales industry has moved on. Like if you wanted to customize it for your product or service, oh, well, well, here, let me zoom back. If we're doing general training for soft skills, I think you're absolutely right. Easy to do. If I wanted to customize it for a specific product, let's say in your case, like a medical sales for a specific devices, I can't wait three to five years to get that training completed. Plus the R&D on that's got to be a beast. Yeah, but once it's done, that's how I see it. it's done, right? I read Red Dead Redemption has like I don't know, I've never played it, but I, I get the gist of it. I played Grand Theft Auto. I think it's done by the same studio, mm -hmm. and it's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of content, right? And it's storytelling, mm -hmm. and it's it's narrative, and they're using tons of motion capture to animate and and do voiceover artists for all the characters <coughs> and individuals within it. We don't need to do that. We need seven avatars, which can be customers. We need one trainer, and. Mm -hmm. You know, if a team like that, imagine getting the uh, Rockstar is the team behind Grand Theft Auto, I think, and Red Dead mm -hmm. Redemption. I, honestly, I think they would absolutely murder something like this. But you know, they probably uh, would. They probably uh, would. Let me just. <laughs> they take us to another level. They'll take us to another level. But but I think there's there's uh, there's a lot in what you're saying. I think you're more right than I am, and that there is a lot of stuff that can be, you know, VR'd if we can do it that way. And then, as you say, maybe it's the 80 20. 80 percent can be VR'd easily. You can always repurpose it, and then twenty percent has to be very specific, sure. product specific. Yeah, sure. And and for context, Rockstar, uh, or not even Rockstar, GTA Grand Theft Auto, it's the one of the most financially successful entertainment products of all time. It's done about six billion in revenue. So that's the what kind of the, numbers that they're working with. Is that the most successful game ever? I do not know. Let me find out for you because we have yeah. Google. I was yeah. I wonder if that's great. I mean. It'd be interesting to see what our, our our listeners or watchers actually play. By the way, hit us up in the comment on that one. Here we go. You know, what do you play? Victor, so I'm sure you've played this in the past, mate. Space Invaders. Oh, yes. Top grossing game of all time. See, see, you did it again, Will. See, I you did, did it again, man. You did, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so so let, me, let me ask you, is how much... So GTA did six, six billion in revenue. How much do you think Space Invaders, as a brand, as opposed to just one specific game... Um, but how much do you think Space Invaders has done as a brand? In revenue? I'll say ten billion. Thirteen point nine billion. Wow, that's it's mad, amazing. isn't it? After so many years, right? Mm -hmm. After so many years. What was your favorite game coming up, by the way? So I used to be. If Twitch would have been five, ten years earlier, I would have probably be a, 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 a aspiring, if not successful, Twitch streamer at this point. Because I used to oh, play okay. a ton of computer games. Victor, have you heard of Super Smash Brothers? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, yes, so I have. It's a Nintendo game, a phenomenon. Right. It's been around, the first version came out when I, was a, when I was a kid on the Nintendo 64. I was second in the UK at that game when it first came out, when I was at uni. Um, there was really? a tournament set up and, and uh, non-official kind of Nintendo uh, tournament set up. I was so into that game, dude. Um, so, okay. yeah, I, 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 I don't it. know I how it would stack up now, but... 
Um, yeah, Super Smash Bros. We used to play the Counter Strike when we were kids. We'd literally go around each of his hands, houses and have what we called a LAN party. We'd all take our massive crappy computers that we'd worked all summer. I used to be a lifeguard when I was a kid. I'd work all summer as a lifeguard just to be able to afford that graphics card to be able to play this game. So yeah, oh, I'm, I'm. Well, let me let me tell you how old I am, Will. <laughs> that I, I had <laughs> that I had to go to an arcade room just to play a game. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I had to pop quarters in the pinball machine. And I still remember popping quarters in, uh, I think at that time, Pac-Man was out. Uh, I used to love this game, name, game called Gorf, G-O-R-F, Gorf. And it was Gorf and Zaxxon were my two games, man, Gorf and Zaxxon. And I would blow like 20 bucks, and that was a lot of money back then. Uh, but yeah, I remember going there. I remember getting the first uh, Pong. Duke. Yeah. Duke. Duke. I remember my first Pong, so I've been around a bit. Yeah, the first game console I had was the Sega Mega Drive. Um, uh, I think called the Sega Genesis in the US and uh, out yes, of Europe. Yes, Sega Genesis. Yeah, so I remember Correct. having that. And I remember just, there was a, I think it was called Desert Strike. There was a helicopter game. And I remember me and my dad just sat there going, like the graphics on it was incredible. Obviously, in hindsight, <laughs> just, it's the most unrealistic thing going. It, it, you, know, you could draw it with, with dots on a screen, uh, you know, just yourself. But that's, my that's mind was blown funny. with that. All right, all right. All right. Anyway, we'd love to hear what you guys played when you were young. And if you're still young, tell me what you're playing right now. Good. And then if there's enough hype, me and Victor will get on a game of Pong and see who can, uh, or Tetris <laughs> oh. or something like that, and uh, see who, who survives. Good. Well, All next right, up, we have, um, uh, this has come from Caroline Fairchild, an editor on LinkedIn News. Is remote work more flexible? Because we're all working from home, right? I've since running my business, since it's uh, stopping in the medical device world. I think working from home is more flexible. But Victor, what does the what does the data say on this? Yeah, this study was actually interesting when I came across it. I said one in four women. This is for our female viewers right here. We're taking your side, by the way. One in four women are thinking about leaving the workforce or scaling back their careers, according to a comprehensive women in the workplace study by Lenin and McKinsey. Uh, I like that Lenin. Before the pandemic, flexibility was among the top perks requested by working women. And why is it the top perk requested by working women? I think it's also a top perk requested by men, right? <laughs> in, some, in some ways, the public health crisis has provided that. More employees are now working from home, employees are working from home, but nearly 200 female execs have taken to LinkedIn. Don't you love the way they phrase that? Have taken to LinkedIn to share how remote working isn't working for them due to the additional responsibilities they're taking on at work and at home. And I can actually see this. It's, it's not easy. When you're at home, it's hard to separate <clears throat> you know, you know, work from taking care of things. I think it's just hard. By, by the way, I think this applies to both men and women. Yep. So, But in this case, we're just talking about women. I totally sympathize slash empathize with them. It's hard, very hard. Link. Victor, how many people need to take to a platform or voice something before it's actually valid data? Because I'm pretty sure I could get 200 people who listen to this show to take to LinkedIn to protest something ridiculous. I'm not trying to diminish this this post and this content, but how many people does it really take before something is... A, a big deal, especially in the the, the global, worldwide uh, internet that we live hmm. on. I, you know, I don't know what the number is. That's that's a that's a tricky question. But the, the I think the question behind the question is how legitimate is this? And I think it's a legitimate concern. I think it's very difficult, but I think it's an acquired skill. Well, here's what's going on. Well, I think you you know this. If your kids are at home, they can't go to school. That's a problem. Yep. Now, as soon as I can kick the little rugrats out and send them to school, I bet you this becomes less of a problem. Than, but, but the thing is, when you have the kids at home, or you know, it's just hard. And so I really believe that you know, even though it's only 200 people, female executives, I truly believe this is a, a problem. But I think it's a problem we're all facing. How many friends have you had? You call them up, you're trying to talk to them, and it's either a kid in the background or the dog barking or something else going on. It's just, it's, it's, it's really hard. For sure. us to work from home. And, and, and I'll put this just to paint a bit, bit more of a picture. I don't have kids and I've got this space and I've got a, a nice kind of 
big detached house that I go to after well, I that. Ex- and that <laughs> explains your lack of sympathy. I, well, yeah, that explains. <laughs> I, it probably it, it may be uh, like you know a lack of empathy there because and I, uh, we're trying to get a golden retriever. We're trying to get a dog. You can't hunt one down in the UK. <laughs> Um, so maybe everything will change when uh, this dog comes along and uh, is is a massive burden <laughs> on my life. But you know, maybe maybe to be fair, I'm, I've been slightly less empathetic and uh, slightly more um, callous with my uh, comments there. Because because <laughs> I because you know and but I uh, give you a bit more context. My partner's as a doctor. Regular listeners will know, and so it's difficult for her to leave things behind from work when everything's obviously she's right in the midst of all this. So I have a firm boundary of, I don't talk about work at home unless, you know, it's uh, you know a new show with Victor or something like that. That's, that's interesting and exciting. And my partner does the same as well. So, so maybe we are in a slightly different dynamic than someone with three kids, seven dogs, a hamster, a gerbil that's got diarrhea and they're both working from home as well. <laughs> I don't know why you threw in the gerbil with diarrhea. By the way, yesterday I was doing an interview. Yesterday I was doing an interview, right? It, it, right, literally three quarters of the way in the interview, my little dachshund, Pebbles, decides to come up here and starts tearing up and down, back and forth down this hallway. And then she's just making all these growling noises. And I had to kind of stop the interview. And so what I did for this interview today is I had to go put her in a cage. I said, you know what, from now on, when I do an interview, we have a cage. I'm just going to put her in a cage for an hour. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be nice if parents could put their kids in a cage? <laughs> that was a joke. That, that was a joke. That's going to be cut <laughs> and copied and pasted across social media. You're going to be shut down. You're going to be deplatformed. <laughs> I tell you what, Victor, um, I'll, I'll, pull, I'll pull the fourth curtain or the fourth wall away here for the audience a little bit. So when we're recording this, right, and then Victor sends me the 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 his video feed from his side, just get a nicer, cleaner copy mm-hmm. than trying to do this uh, via Skype or Zoom. Um, right. It gets compressed as it gets sent over. Well, I didn't, I listened for like, 30 seconds I was like I best turn this off Victor you, you kept the recording going for way after the conversation ended last week and so as I was I, I cut it down just so the file was shorter as we sent it over to our editor and you must have the, the dog there with you because you went over and it was a totally different side of Victor you talking like baby talk to your dog <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's my dog. Though. That's my that's my little girl. That's my. That, I was, was I maybe my head dog? off. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Man. So I'm totally I, embarrassed. I, I thought no, I did. I thought I listened. Said 10, 20 seconds. Funny. I was like, won't listen to it anymore. Just you know, you you obviously didn't realize you were being filmed. But I was laughing my head off. Serious <laughs> this week in sales conversation. And the next thing, Victor's like, obviously the dog was. Ne- is the dog uh, with you now? No, I actually put her in a cage because okay. usually, usually I have her sitting on the sofa yeah. right here. And then so this time I'm like, yeah, you're in the cage after last <laughs> night, after yesterday. So thank you for that, Will. I'll remember to turn this off next time. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, on that lighter note, some more news here. I'm going to quote this. I'm not making, uh, I'm not showing my opinion on it. This is the, the headline of the article. Weirdo took car and kidnapped salesman on terrifying 100 miles an hour test drive. I assumed this was a uh, individual uh, car salesperson had gone out for a test drive with a potential customer. Uh, when I've seen the pictures of the individual, um, maybe you'd be slight. This goes back to what we were talking about last week of should you be slightly worried if someone has loads of tattoos and they look like a scally. But uh, regardless of that, the, this individual took him on a joyride. The police got involved. It was an absolute mess. So with that, Victor, have you ever felt threatened or in a sales role, or have you ever even been kidnapped in a sales role before? I felt threatened. Uh, this is true story, not making this up. So uh, we were, I was VP of sales, technology company selling into Latin America, right? And we're trying to expand into new markets, Colombia being one of them, right? And so, I mean, that's a tee up already. And so I, the distributor who wanted to represent us comes to Miami to meet with me, right? Trying to get me to go down to Colombia to see his operations, right? And I remember he comes there. And I mean, as soon as you see the guy, you're like, I'm afraid of the guy. I'm from Chicago. I'm from the hood. I'm from the inner city. I'm not afraid of a lot of people. But this guy, he's just so intimidating. And then he just, he, we were talking and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. You know, I, we're not looking to do any business down there. And he literally grabs my, you can't see this if you're listening to this, but he puts his hand on my face on both cheeks like this. He says, you need to come down like that. He just grabbed my face. Oh. He said, you need to come down. And I said, 
And then I said, and I'm thinking, you know, I kind of played it off type of thing. And I'm like, what the, you know, whiskey tango foxtrot, right? I'm like, what's going on here? And so I remember I get a call the day I'm going to fly to Columbia. And he says, whatever you do, do not leave the airport until I specifically pick you up. I, nobody else will pick you up. I will pick you up. Mm -hmm. And literally I waited in the airport. I didn't step out and him and two bodyguards basically showed up, you know, as I say, whisked me away. And they became one of our greater clients down there. By the way, Columbia, beautiful people, beautiful. I didn't feel threatened, but he just kind of said, I just want to make sure you're safe. That was the only time I ever had a weird, okay, am I in the wrong place here? That was it. So I think there's, there's a there's a gap between the two parts of the story here, Victor, of um, mm-hmm. want to do business, end up in Columbia. And there's this gray area in the middle where some dude who's apparently scary is ho- touching your face. Why would you do yeah. the deal? Why would you go down there? I'd have been getting uh, that, get that dude oh. out of my office and barricade the doors. The, so, okay, the, the, the part that I'm missing that I didn't tell is that the regional manager really wanted to go into that territory. He Send wasn't him. afraid. He was, yeah. yeah, no, he did go in there. He <laughs> met with them already. Okay. And so he's from, he was from Venezuela. So he says, I want the Colombian market. He says, I need you to go meet with the guy. I said, well, what the hell is this guy touching my face? Yeah, I just start going, I said, is this guy like nuts? I goes, no, no, that's just the way he is. But he's a great businessman. <laughs> and then he's the one that talked me into going down. He said, you'll be safe. And he met us down there also. So uh, I got other stories. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's leave it at that because there's there's more to it. But it was it got it got a little weird before it got better, but it was good. <laughs> well, I, I, some <laughs> random dude comes in my office and touches my face. I'm not going nowhere with him. Yeah, yeah, that's that was good. Anyway, I've only had one it. experience, and it wasn't necessarily threatened. I guess it was more. This was the one time in sales where I've actually been scared that something bad was going to happen. This was in medical devices, and so. The one of the, I'll leave it open ended. One of the medical device companies I worked at had a the whole operating room was this company. So not just the camera systems that I would sell, it, the whole theater, everything in it was this this brand, and it's local to me. So I was in there all the time. I think we talked about it on the on the show before. On a Friday, I'd go and sit in there because they do millions of revenue for me every year. So I'd just go and do my emails or hangout or skive in in this uh, doctor's surgeon's um, kind of room that I shouldn't have been in, but they let me in there, whatever. So I went in there and got asked to go into uh, one of the procedures just to have a look. It was an interesting case, interesting patient. They were using our equipment in a novel way. And so I popped in and five minutes later, so I'm all um, not fully scrubbed up, but in um, scrubs, uh, head mask, mask and stuff and all this. So I walk into the room five minutes later, you know, got my clogs on and my feet are getting sore and everything just goes black. All the lights go off. The machines go off and this is laparoscopic surgery. So the patient's abdomen is physically inflated and it starts deflating. Now, I've got a big badge on that says this company's name. The surgeon is a, a an advocate for this company. Everyone mm-hmm. in the operating room, or the only thing that was still going was the anesthetics machine because has battery backup for obvious reasons for, for this scenario. Everyone just looks at me. I just remember going bright red and thinking, Crap! I I, ha- I just had to be in the operating room. The one time, everything blows up. The, 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 as I said, the endoflate is deflating. The patient has, or the surgeon registrar has, equipment inside the abdomen that is hot, and so you, all the cameras have gone off. So you can't see anything. You could potentially perforate bowel. It's, it is a genuinely bad place to be. The surgeon, very calmly, is is a legend. He's a world renowned collector surgeon. Walks out the room. It's very calm. Gets on the phone. I go. Oh, crap i better do something here as well and again i can feel myself going bright red everyone's staring at me the registrars are trying to start to panic the consultant surgeon is is, is is calm and confident so i'm you know trying to frame myself in that mindset i recognize that that he's in control walk out the room then i start dialing on my phone hounding everyone i possibly can get on with turns out it was nothing to do with us it was a circuit breaker for the hospital mm. so someone from um uh, they called bioelectrical medical engineering came over and, and just flipped the switch everything came back on but that was the one time in sales that i've actually been like cacking <laughs> my pants that you know one someone's someone's not gonna have a good time on the operating table and two this is because i'm in the you know an opportunity to lose a massive customer wow that's oh, you won't forget that no you won't forget that no no you won't forget that but on a lighter note did you know that during this pandemic Teenagers are getting thriftier. And in this article by Capucine Yeomans 
of LinkedIn News. Teen spending has slumped to its lowest level in 20 years, dropping 9% to about $2,150 per teen this year, according to Piper Sandler's report. The demographic, this young demographic, forked out a record low $87 on handbags. This was interesting to me. $275 on footwear and $507 on apparel, with Nike remaining the favorite brand. I thought that was interesting right there. Just pause right there. I, I thought yep. the, first of all, $275 on footwear was interesting. Nike being the favorite brand. I thought that was interesting, followed by American Eagle and Adidas, because it's not Adidas, right? It's Adidas. That's what I've learned. I would say Adidas. Okay. But would you say uh, Nike or Nike? Uh, isn't it supposed to be Nike, the original, the authentic name? Because it's uh, uh, the Greek runners, that's what he shouts when he's entering or something, Nike. Yep. Uh, but nobody's going to say Nike. So I think I think I say Nike. Yeah, I say Nike. Is that what you say? Yeah. I say Nike. I say Nike. Anyway, so, and you had an interesting question here, Will, if I can read it for you. You said, are they getting thrifty or, or are they just skint? To which I said to myself, what does skint mean? Here we have, again, a gap between the pond. What is skint? Please help us in our American side to understand. Well, I you think you've also that. got to remember, before I get into this, Victor, that what language do we speak? Uh, English. So when you're criticized, I feel like there's some subtle, um, I'm going to use another one here, mick taking. When you're subtly taking the <laughs> mick out of the way that I speak and the language that I use and the colloquialisms, I can't even say that word. Right. Um, we invented it all, mate. So just just setting the, the setting the scene there. But skin just means that you're not necessarily that you're a poor person. You can't afford things. It means that um, if you earn fifty grand a year and you want a BMW, perhaps you'll get one secondhand because you're a bit skint. Is that what you say? Ah, you're a bit skint. So is that I, how you, I'm you a bit say- skint this month, so I won't go on that uh, pub crawl or whatever it is. Okay, I'm a bit low on funds. Yep. Low on funds would yep. be the translation. Skint means low on funds. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, again, I like to, this is only my opinion, pure conjecture. I'm only guessing, but I would agree that you invented the language. I do like to think that Americans have perfected it, perfected it, made it more synthetic, more pliable, more malleable, and dare I say, more understandable. How's that? <laughs> Maybe. What's more understandable, Victor, than the Queen's English? I'm not going to argue with you there, man. I'm not going to argue with when you. When the Queen gets on, who's more understandable? When Donald Trump gets on stage or the Queen? <laughs> you had to go there. We'll have to take it there. We'll have to take or it Biden, there. Or Biden, whoever, whatever's going on. Yeah, I, I, I The thing I laugh about Trump, I think I can say this without getting too much trouble. It's just, he always uses the word great. It's excellent. It's the best. Yep. You know, I mean, his, his superlatives are always there. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. <clears throat> by the way, that's an interesting lesson in uh, selling, by the way. If I can tie that to the lesson, I see a lot of salespeople who do this a lot. They use these, I call them not, they're like like qualifiers, these these words like, yeah, it's fast. Well, how fast? Real fast. Mm-hmm. Well, how good is it? Real good, man. I said, is it better? Much better. And people go, that tells me nothing. You know, and I always tell people, stop doing that in a presentation. So over to you, Will. Okay. So a couple of things I took from this. One I did not have, un- until I was, as I mentioned earlier on, working as a lifeguard, like 16 to kind of 18 in summer holidays and things like this. I did not have $2,150 a year to spend. So I'm assuming maybe this is including uh, birthday presents, gifts, or, or something like that, because yeah. um, I don't know about you, Victor, and you know, back in back in your day, mate, but <laughs> I, I, didn't, I certainly didn't have two grand uh, to spend a year on just you know, stuff as a teenager. Yeah, during the Paleolithic period that I lived in, we, <laughs> you get you get a whole lot of rocks and rocks. for two thousand dollars, mate. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where they're getting this money from. I I have no idea, but I, I think these are interesting numbers, though, mm-hmm. because I think it's also an indication. Because I don't yeah I don't know what percentage of this demographic drives our economy, but it's that's an impact that they're having. But you know, over here, will what we're seeing is there's a lot of retail job opportunities. You know, even today. We're seeing a lot of retail, even in this environment, we're seeing a lot of retail opportunities here. So young people can work if they want to. I think they may choose not to. Sure. In no, many cases. Yeah, if you've got a job, fine. Um, that makes sense. But I don't, it's in my experience that, I don't know, maybe it's 50. Again, I'm talking about UK. I don't have the data on this. We should Google it. I'll find it. I'll find mm-hmm. out in a second. But I don't know what percentage of teenagers have jobs, right? 
let's find this out. Yeah. And by the way, while you're looking that up, did you know that males spend most of their money, 21% on food, while females spend 27% on clothing? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, that kind of tallies well with me. I'd be poorly dressed, but always eating crap. Well fed. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Yeah, yeah and one thing it. I took away from this video was, I don't mm. know if they did this intentionally, but they, they brought out some brands here. And Nike, mm -hmm. obviously, uh, maybe Disney, Apple, it's up there, right? It's one of the greatest brands on the mm -hmm. planet. Is mm -hmm. brand becoming more and more important in a world where, and this is a massively leading question because I'm sure you're going to agree, but is brand becoming more and more important in a world where every product is basically the same, right? Unless you're doing Salesforce's AI and you've only got the mm -hmm. the revenue, the budgets and the, the expertise to do it. But with shoes, anyone can copy someone else's shoes. There's no real technology in shoes mm -hmm. that in trainers that can't be just copied and, and ripped off. So is brand the the key differentiator that we all should be kind of aiming towards and we wanna we should be aiming to work for companies who have incredible brands as well? I don't think so. I think brands are they don't have the power they had twenty years ago. Do you know what I mean? Because it consumers today have more information when they go online. And we see this, but well, I'll give you my example. Because this, and I'm sure everybody who's listening to this can probably relate. I went online to buy a camera. Uh, and I remember going for, I went for the Canon and the Sony, right? Yep. And then I started, and then I started looking up different cameras, right? And that led me down a rabbit hole. People who bought this also bought that, right? And then you look, you start, well, I've never heard of that brand. What is that brand? And all of a sudden I started going down different rabbit holes, right? And I wound up still getting a Canon. But I didn't get it because of the brand. It's just that I went through everything else and figured out, okay, this is what I'm really looking for. But brand was not. Brand was a starting point. It wasn't the final decision maker. So it does influence the buying process, but I think as a starting point. Sure. I, and I, I will, I'll agree with that, but I'll pull from the opposite direction. And perhaps I'm talking mm. about more things like trainers where it's very differentiate. It's very difficult to differentiate them, right? Canon, for example, cameras, we'll nerd out here for a second, has incredible mm. color science, the best autofocus in the business. Sony has less good color science, but has sharper images and the, the most Sony cameras are 4K. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, I see what you're saying. So aside from specifications, something yeah. that doesn't have specs. So <clears> for example, <throat> let's talk about a better example might be, or a different example might be going for, I don't know, a, uh, you're looking at a, sh a shirt from one company versus a shirt from another company. I would probably go with the more prestigious brand if they both fit similarly, because I'm so skinny, I have to get all my shirts tailored anyway. But mm. I'd go with the more prestigious brand, even if it was a bit more expensive, even if no one can see the logo because it's a shirt. That's kind of where I was going with it. I, th I think to some extent, I guess it does depend. Like I, <clears throat> one of my favorite brands is uh, Lululemon. Do you know what that is? Yep. Lululemon. Don't they make yoga pants for women? Right. Well, okay. But I didn't buy yoga pants for women. Okay. I, they expanded their brand in life. You know, what are you trying to do to me today, man? You're making me old and you're making me wear, you know, leotards. Uh, so they, they expanded the brands, obviously, but I've worn, I've worn them and I love the material. You know what I mean? And when you've done that, that's, you're, you're locked in, man. You know, I, I don't know about you, but as I get old, I just don't want to have a lot of options anymore. Mm -hmm. I want to have two or three, you know, brands that I buy from, but again, I'd never heard of Lululemon. It wasn't until I tried their pants that was highly recommended. Then now I'm in love with the brand. Yeah, that makes sense. Because uh, I'm the same. Look, I I don't know if you've noticed. I think every video we've ever done, I've had one of these jumpers on from Mark Suspensers here in the UK. I have the same chinos. Mm. I wear. I've got three pairs of these chinos that I wear every day from Uniqlo. They just they just fit me right because I'm tall and skinny. So I'm the same. Mm. Um, I find once maybe maybe this is a sign of maturity, perhaps not. Uh, jokes aside of you find something and then you just settle with it and you get on with other priorities in your life and you're not constantly chasing the latest pair of Nikes or, you know, whatever Adidas trainers that are, are cool and hot right now. It's like Zuckerberg, right? T-shirt, jeans, boom, uniform, done. Yeah, He says what? Less decisions he has to make. Yep. Like he's, he's going after decision fatigue, isn't he? And that, that he copied yeah. that from Steve Jobs <laughs> as well. Oh, did he? Did not <laughs> know that. All right. So I think that's interesting on the brand. So, Good man. Well, we've got an audience question here from Christina. So I'll read this out <laughs> and then we'll go through it. And if you've got any questions for us, drop us a message on LinkedIn or email. Uh, either one of us and we'll, we'll drop it in the show next week if appropriate. So Christina says, 
love the show. It's becoming my go-to on a Sunday morning dog walk. Uh, my question is, is it okay to not be motivated all of the time? Sometimes I'm incredibly motivated in my sales job. Other times I want to throw my hands up and just go and play a round of golf. I feel insecure about this and I tell myself if I'm not moving towards if I'm not moving towards my quota at all costs, then I'm lazy. Is Christina crazy for not being motivated all of the time, Victor? She sounds sane to me. She sounds perfectly <laughs> sane to me <clears throat> because sometimes you have to walk away from it and come back at it and get a yeah. fresh perspective. So that, that would be my short answer. So Christina Alvarez, you're just like everybody else. We have to walk away. But I know what, I know what you're talking about, that sometimes when you're not working on something, there's this, this, this guilty feeling that overcomes you and says, yeah. I should, maybe I should be doing that. But maybe taking a break, mental break, and then coming back will allow a new perspective. So I like what you're doing. Walk those dogs, girl. Walk those dogs. <laughs> Victor, let me ask you this, man. And I'll, I'll give my, because mm. I suffer with a little bit of this as well. So I'll give you mm. um, what my schedule looks like. And so if appropriate, tell me if it's not. But you do you have a full weekend off each week? And do you protect that? Is that is that time that other things can't slip into? And do you have that time to recharge? I, I'm. I, this is embarrassing right now. Full disclosure. Only here on This Week in Sales will Victor Antonio admit the following. So today's Thursday. Tomorrow is? Friday. Free day. No, free day. I don't work Fridays. I've self-imposed a three-day weekend on myself. So I don't work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I work you know, only four days, and then I don't schedule anything for Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So I am very protective of that. So... That's shocking to some people, but it works for me. And and by the way, it's like I I, I feel like I I get just as much done. Yep. And I feel like you, you when when time is compressed, it's like you're more focused. You ever notice that? When the time is more compressed, like more focused, you're getting more done. So, it's actually have um, so many, uh, that's my schedule. But I I like to do all my work early in the morning. That's my best brain work. Yeah, I've, I've just Googled it. Three-day weekends could make people happier and more productive. It's a Business Insider article that I'll include in the show notes as well. Because I think there's quite a lot of study on this. And some tech companies are experimenting with a, a three-day weekend as well. And it makes sense, right? Because you're going to come back refreshed, recharged. And I know if I take three days off, and usually we go up to the lakes, to the, the lodge that we have up there and, and have a bit of time to ourselves, me and my partner, um, I come back like, raring to go i'm excited to record content versus if i'm it's, in a it's, it's good recharge right yeah. because it's almost like sunday doesn't count half a sunday doesn't count if you think of a two-day weekend right because by three or four p.m you're starting to think about what uh work mm -hmm. gotta go back tomorrow so i think that extra day friday i call it free day it really allows you to kind of really enjoy that so you know will i've been dying to ask you questions and i think we've done three of these already and i think i I don't know. I think I've built enough rapport, maybe <laughs> okay. trust between us. But I could ask you this question. So uh, this partner of yours, uh, are we getting married sooner or what are we thinking here? Can I put you on the spot or well, is it? She's never going to listen to this. So, um, you know, <laughs> it, we, we will be getting married, you know, long-term relationship. I've held off for, I was probably going to propose this year, but the, I don't okay. know about in the US, but in the UK, you can only have 15 people at a wedding. So it makes okay. a wedding, you know, for me, I want it to be a big family event. Um, my partner only has a small family, but I've got a massive family, loads of uncles and aunties and kids and cousins. Um, so that's that's the only reason why. I don't want to get, I don't want to propose and have a, a wedding hanging over our heads for two or three years as mm. these restrictions change. Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, uh, as I said, she'll never listen to this. So I could say, I could say whatever I want. <laughs> Go <laughs> You're too funny. Uh, I, yeah, but our daughter had to elope. You know, because of the COVID, and they didn't want to wait, so they just eloped. And you know, it was it was good. I didn't have to cry at the wedding, and that was actually very good for me. So good. Well, let's wrap things up, Victor, with a takeaway. I'll go first, mate. And my takeaway is that enough to do with anything that we talked about. You've been you been more eloquent with your takeaway here. That you need to follow up. Right, follow up is everything. And I've just closed a deal. It's a five month deal. Uh, we we talk about it off air in a, in a minute, in fact. Um, and it all came from. A brand that I've worked with in the past, they've not paid the invoice yet. This is why I'm not plugging it, just in case it falls apart at the last second. <laughs> but, but it's a brand I've worked with, we've worked very closely with in the past. We've done, you know, at this point, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of, of business with them. We've like given them tons of attention. And I think they just forgot about us because they're so busy. It's such a big company that they just totally forgot about us. So I sent one email uh, a couple of days ago, and the ad agency that they work with just 
drop me a message. We did a deal over the past couple of days. And that's now made this year the best year that we've ever had revenue-wise, just this one deal. Congratulations. The, the one, I appreciate it. Thank you. And, um, and all because of one email that's followed up. Nothing more complicated than that. And so my takeaway for the week, because this was a, a lesson for myself, was that even I'm not talking about acute following up during the sales process. If it doesn't work out, if it does work out, you should be scheduling six months, 12 months, not checking emails, but emails where you're adding a bit of value, sharing an insight, whatever it is, just so you stay top of mind with the, the brands that you're working with. I love it. By the way, I think this might work. Wait up. No? No, you're looking at me and I can't hear anything. <laughs> I assume you pressed something. It was, it was, it was, it was a big applause oh. on this side for that deal. It was a big applause for that deal. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> and what was your takeaway this week, Victor? Uh, all right, my short, my shorthand. I, and by the way, when I write my notes, by the way, Will and I share notes, right? That's the way I have a common document. And if you notice, my, my sentences are very short and choppy because that's how I work with my ADHD. So anyway, my takeaways are CRMs are transforming. Again, I think the old CRMs, as we used to think about, are going away. Sales engagement platforms, intelligent platforms are really the, the new way, if I can say it that way. Remote work has its downside. I'm going back to the study with the uh, with the sales executives, the female sales executives. So they got to learn how to manage that. And I think it's, again, I think it's tough. VR is getting more real. I'm with you on that, Will. So I'm glad you highlighted that. <clears throat> Pitch like you're pitching a CFO. And again, I think you added more flavor to it by saying not just, it's not an ROI calculator. It's just more than that. The real cost associated with the switchover. And I really think salespeople should get hazardous pay. That's just my opinion. <laughs> But you should have when you had some crazy fella touching your face, mate. You should have got a, a five grand bonus right there and then. Yeah. yeah. Well, with that, Victor, um, I want to say thank you for the audience tuning in. Do drop a like and a comment if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, drop a comment uh, with any questions you've got for me and Victor. Uh, anything or any articles, anything that you think should be uh, we talked about on this week in sales. We'll talk about it and include it in next week's episode. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in to this week in sales.